Life is a blank canvas and you paint your own story. I'm Lee Rogers and welcome to The Blank Canvas. I'm going to be chatting with the trailblazers, artists, thought leaders, athletes, the entrepreneurs and creators, incredible individuals who inspire us to live large. Hi there. This week we dive into the beauty world with makeup artist Ray Morris. We discuss all kinds of things, from cosmetic surgery to Ziggy Stardust. We learn about the Japanese master behind Ray's incredible makeup brush range, the phenomena of fake lashes, battling with IVF, paid Instagram posts, supermodels, rock stars, designers, and in her own words, Ray's biggest makeup fail. Growing up as a tomboy on a Queensland farm, training as a hairdresser in Brisbane, a chance encounter with supermodel Naomi Campbell, which prompts a career change to makeup artist, then becoming a beauty legend in her own time. Ray Morris is a four times best-selling author, four times Australian makeup artist of the year, the longest serving makeup director for L'Oreal Paris, and has been inducted into multiple halls of fame. I had the great fortune to watch Ray in action behind the scenes at the L'Oreal Melbourne Fashion Festival when I was directing a documentary about the festival for Channel 7. Nobody handles the pressure and responsibility like Ray. She's definitely proof it's the amount of hours and commitment to the craft that makes something so hard look so effortless. Please welcome to the blank canvas, Ray Morris. Ray Morris, thanks for coming in. I can't remember the last time I saw you. Well, I can't believe you just said 10 years. I was like, it didn't feel that long. I'll have to research that. I'll go check my emails. But I think it has been longer than we think. Was the first job we met on, was that the Holly Valance 1800 reverse one? Oh, my God. Wow. I remember that ad. Oh, hasn't she gone far and amazing? Yeah. I forgot about that one. Yeah. Right at the airport somewhere. That's it. Yeah, there was one at an airport and one in a park and one- Somewhere else. It's actually probably the favourite, you know, campaign of commercials I've directed and you oh, did the makeup on Holly. It's all, so all your fine fun. work. She's fun too. I remember her being so much fun. I've actually got funny Polaroids because we didn't have mobile phones, <laughs> digital cameras back then, but I've got – I have to share them with you. I've got so many Polaroids from that shoot. Yeah, she's fab. She's awesome. I went on to yeah. do more things actually. Thank you. I have to thank you for that because I did a big Pepsi job with her in the UK and, yeah, so because of that job she booked me for so many other things. So thank you. Wow. Yeah. That's cool. Oh, my God. And so how long's that? That's about – 10 that years. About, oh, it's got to be more than that. Yeah, That's like possibly. 15, yeah. 18, something like that. What a trip. So what have you been doing this morning? It's Sunday. Oh, well, I do – And this is not just a cash in on COVID because I'm big about education. So I used to do, and I still do sometimes, um, live seminars where makeup artists can come to me. And and I normally have had them tailored for artists that are out there. They've done their training. They're starting to work, but they're just stuck. They can't take it to the next level. So I used to run these really intense workshops for artists. And every time I did it, it was awesome, but I always got the, when are you coming to Russia? And when are you coming to... And so then I started to do so many trips and that was great. But then I was still... Whenever country I went to, I was like, well, why aren't you coming here? I thought, this is all too hard. So I started to do it online. And it is at a time when there is so many makeup videos online. But what it is, and I think why I love it and it's fun, it's live, live, as in you see all my mistakes, my head talk, 
like not many makeup artists share the thoughts of the panic or when we don't know what we're going to do and how we come up with the idea. So it's kind of like that. It's like unplugged makeup. So you see the the end result and I'm not sponsored by any brands. That's all from the heart. And I just talk about, yeah, my aesthetic and how I get to that point. And when I make a mistake, what do I do? And because not many people share that kind of stuff. So I love sharing that stuff. I did watch some of them in preparing for this <laughs> and I love the warts and all yep. approach. Yeah. It's fantastic. Now, look, the interesting thing about makeup, it is really a combination of science and art, isn't it? Oh, Absolutely. Because I teach and I've done many books before and I promise it's not a shameless book plug, um, but my latest book, Masterclass, I base it on the Fibonacci sequence, the phi of makeup. And I remember the moment this happened. I have this awesome job that you probably don't know about, but it's one of my favorite jobs. It used to be like 5%, but now it's grown to like 30 to 40% where I work with medical doctors, plastic surgeons mainly, um, and dermatologists and cosmetic doctors and nurses. And I teach them about um, makeup. And the reason I do this, it was brought to my attention that most plastic surgeons are male. Most of them don't come from a beauty background. They come from a medical background or they want to do cosmetics. And I believe, and now they believe, what makeup can do sometimes is a lot more powerful than what surgery can do. And I mean, you'd know this, Lee, like you can see a model and what transformationist makeup can make. And we are finding that in the plastic surgery world that men and women, they're just going too far and there's no age appropriation for it. So I come in, teach them my techniques and they follow what I do surgically. But the point of all that was there was a moment where one of my favourite surgeons in the world, Dr. Stephen Louis, said, okay, so if you just make the face phi, you will make them look the most beautiful to anyone, no matter their race, age or gender. And I was always taught when I was learning makeup that there's a different aesthetic to say a uh, Korean face to a Anglo face to a black skin girl. Or I was always taught, you know, there's little differences that you do, but this was an amazing thing about learning the science and the whole Fibonacci sequence was introduced to me. So doctors use this mathematical equation to teach surgeons to do makeup. But then I was like, okay, well, I can't do that. I'm not a surgeon, but what about eye? So I invented this thing called iFi, where what I do is I teach women and men, if you can make your eyes as close to phi as possible, you will have the best shaped version of your eye possible. You can teach women how to do eyeliner, smoky eyes, all those tricks, but it might not be the most flattering thing for that eye. So what I do is I teach them the science first, how to get the shape, and then all the funny, creative, artistic stuff. That was a very long answer, wasn't it? Because I, I could I talk about it. that for that, days. That is incredible. <laughs> I mean, I have read a little bit about that. In I didn't even know about it. Yeah, yeah, no, that's incredible. I mean, what's really fascinating is here you are kind of I guess a tomboy growing up on a farm in Brisbane oh, going research. yeah <laughs> what am right. I going to do I'm going to I become a hairdresser that's usually kind of an option for someone that's you yeah. know academically not doing great no, failed school they leave school yeah, failed school gone and done that you've got your own salon and here you are you like miss uber scientist <laughs> I know. I love when I do my like PowerPoint presentations and I've got the Fibonacci. I love looking about all the other companies that have used this mathematical equation, like Aston Martin, my favourite car, the 177, designed their whole car based on it. Every Leonardo da Vinci painting, the Opera House, every Apple Mac product uses that exact mathematical equation for every product they design. So, because here I am, dyslexic, failed school, 
And then I love having those presentations behind me. And especially when people take photos and repost, it looks like I'm doing a TED talk. And I go, I'm going to go with this. I'm going to go with this. So there is a way to help artists who think they've just got to be purely creative. I think if you learn the science side first, the creative yeah. part's easier and you're more free to do that part, I think. I love that. So I'm going to talk more about where you grew up and that whole journey, but just tell me going into that world of science, like how do you deal with all of the words and the nomenclature and all the different stuff when you come across it? Does it not just um, kind of, uh, did it not overwhelm you? Or I don't how go did you- that deep. <laughs> what I do, <laughs> so what I, what I do is I sit in all the lectures that surgeons do when they're explaining face and dimension. And I love the technical stuff. I find if I don't love it, then it doesn't sink in. And because they teach so visually. So for me, when they're explaining all the Fibonacci and all the lines and all the cross sections and height and balance and volume and all that stuff, I'm seeing it done in front of me. And I think at school, it was different with the school book and I'm dyslexic. I see numbers and it doesn't mean anything. It's like watching, especially when you watch the surgical side, it's like watching a makeup artist on steroids. Like you get to do things that you wish as a makeup artist you could just do. Um, And also it teaches me about how the face ages, which has blown my mind more than anything. Um, But yeah, so it's funny, actually, a lot of the lectures, like the words are just too big. Um, But no, I just stick it to the the Fibonacci and just the face and structure and line. And I I really, you know. Stick to the simple sort of fundamentals of it. Yeah, the things that you'll always refer what you really need and the rest. Gotcha. So look, everyone knows a bit about, oh yeah, makeup, women use makeup, drag queens use makeup. Let's just strip it back. So you were talking to a person who came from another planet and yep. said, so what is makeup and what do you do? Oh, that's a really good question. Um, sometimes I do nothing and it's about doing nothing, which is part of the job. Um, it is adding colour, tone, texture, ageing someone, making someone look younger, older, um, angrier, um, friendlier, um, depending on the job brief. And also there's two roles. There's one where I'm employed by that person, say like a bride or red carpet, to make them look how they dream of looking or making them look themed for an event. Or there's the other side, which you would know, Lee, is where I'm following a brief where I get told I've got to make someone look like they haven't slept for three months or I don't do a lot of special effects. I've got some funny stories about that later. Um, When I hear the word artist, I feel a bit more like a scientist for the face in a cosmetic way, in a colourful way. Um, But, yeah, an artist, I suppose. It's funny because people who – think that you put red lipstick and lashes and mascara. And no, I've had jobs. Actually, Ian Lesney, who passed away, the DOP. Yep, Andrew Lesney. Andrew Lesney, that's it, Andrew Lesney. Lord yep. of the Rings, yeah. King Kong. My favourite. Oh, he's amazing. Yeah. He booked me my first job. Um, he told me that he booked me because he wanted absolutely no makeup on the talent at all for 10 days. And I was getting paid really well. And at the end of the 10 days, I'm like, I just feel really bad that I've been paid. And he's like, Ray, because you won't do anything. I don't want the talent. Look like they've got makeup on. And I thought, okay. So yeah, jobs can be me doing no makeup because doing no makeup is doing makeup. Yeah. Gotcha. So, I mean, I've worked in and around fashion film for a long time. So I know it well, but what always fascinates me is the speed with which makeup artists and hair people have to work because yes. they have somebody like me, yes. a director or a producer Very going. Unfair. <laughs> it's like always such a tight timeline. Yeah. The sun's going down. We've got this amount of time. Often I work with celebrities, so their time is precious. 
yeah. meaning often we only have them for four hours. You don't have them for 12 hours. You've yeah. got them for four. And, okay, how long does hair and makeup need? Okay, makeup might need an hour. Hair yeah. wants an hour. We don't have that long. Okay, you've got half an hour each or whatever it yeah. is. It's often with extreme pressure, often there's hundreds of thousands of dollars, mm-hmm. often even more on the line. And I often look to you guys going, I'm so glad I'm not you and I'm glad I've got an expert like you to do that. If it was me, my hand would be shaking (laughs) and I, you know what I mean? I mean, obviously you're professional and that's what you do, but just give us an insight into what happens. Your mind must be whizzing like a calculator. This person arrives, they're seated in front of you. Whether you have a brief or not, just give us an insight into the thoughts that are racing through your head as you look at them for the first time. You're looking at their eyes. You're looking at their eye shape. You're looking at their skin. Have they got marks? Do you need to cover marks? Just like go for it, rapid fire. Give us an insight into that. So when I've got Lee going, you've only got half an hour, yet the makeup brief looks like it takes three hours. Okay, so the hardest thing is you are sitting down in front of someone you have never met who you have got to be extremely intimately close to very quickly and also I've got to make that really quick decision how much of this job is about how she wants to look and feel and how much of the job is what the director wants her to look and feel because then I've got to quickly weigh up. If it's her direction, I've got to become a best friend really quickly and if not, I've just got to do my job and we just got to sit there and go for it. So what I do is I choose my weapon. So... I think of the look and what took me a while to learn is that a lot of directors and photographers don't always understand the process or how much is involved or how long something takes. So I look at the brief, I look at the time and I do the hardest thing first. So for example, let's say it's a really glamorous eye and a lip. There's no way you're going to do that beautifully in really small time. And sometimes I have to change the brief in a very gentle way. So sometimes I'll turn around and say, look, instead of doing the lash and the eye and the brow and the skin, and which I know I need two hours to do, I'm going to do the most beautiful skin because I can do that fast and pick pieces that just make women look timelessly elegant, like just a red lip or just a liner. And then what I find always happens, Lee, that when I just do the lip and they go to set, sometimes I get that, oh, I've just got to do some more lighting. Can you just take it back to makeup for another hour and then I can continue? But there's things also too that I have to know what can be done in post-production. Is there going to be post-production? Is there not? So if she doesn't have great skin, I have to explain to the director. It's taken me time to get that confidence to say, listen, I can do all that, but her skin's going to look bad or this is going to be this. And I also have a great folder of reference photos. I always Google my talent before I come to the set. I always have an idea of lighting and clothing. I research the living daylights out of the talent before I get there. And I also see what makeup works on them because sometimes you need to show a director a visual because they might have an idea. And if I didn't have the time to do it, it's going to look shit. The thing is, in stills, it's different. In stills, you can retouch makeup. You can't retouch hair that well. But in a moving image, you just can't. The brain's panicking and I just look at what's the most obvious thing and just do that first. Things like found foundation and skin I'll do it on set or I do bluff a little bit I'll say I haven't finished her yet Leah I just want to do a lighting check which means you haven't given me enough time but I know that you'll muck around with lights for about five minutes and I'll just get in between so there's little tricks that I use and then I say the hairdresser slick back ponytail no time for hair 
It's too hard. It's wow. too hard. If you've got to do really fine work, especially around eyelids and stuff like that. Okay, one more thing too. If it's a big talent, someone where it's really important that they want to look. I was told this, it's probably the biggest lesson I learned by Richard Shara, who was my makeup teacher. He said, your job is to make sure that talent, when they leave the chair, feel good about themselves. So I've got to carry all that as well. So sometimes I'll agree with the talent to meet them earlier and do a lot of prep work. And they prefer that. So when they get to the shoot, they're half prep without anyone knowing and no overtime being charged. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for that insight. That's awesome. Wow, you, you mentioned Richard Shara. You know, I was talent um, <gasps> and worked on by Richard Shara when I was about 18 in wow. a shark TV commercial. <gasps> and it was in Artarmand. What a lovely man. I remember walking into this studio. It was a big job back, you know, shooting on 35mm film. And I remember coming into the studio and he sat me up and he was such a warm, wonderful wow. communicator. Wow. Just looked at me and he made me feel really important. And, you know, I mean, I'm I'm a bloke in there. It's nothing major what he's got to do, but he made me feel special. That's pretty nice to hear. Yeah. Because people are listening. Richard Shara was David Bowie's yeah. artist. He designed Ziggy Stardust. I've seen the illustrations. He designed the lightning bolt, all of that. Total and he was legend. colorblind. Yep. Completely so, colorblind. Yeah, I was going to ask you that. That was one of my questions. So he's passed away, yep. um, I think probably 10 years ago now, and I was one of his yep. last students. And and the way he teaches, it was really interesting. I didn't know he was colorblind until three quarters of the way through this training. And his training was only three hours a day, two-day break, three hours a day, two-day break. And I flew from Brisbane. And the way he would teach was he would say he was showing lip shape and he would do it. And at the end of that three hours of just over and over, and what I learned in the first three hours was the best art lesson I've ever had in my life. And the reason for the two-day break, I just thought he wanted a break. But no, I had to prove I'd done that lip a hundred times before I came back for the next lesson. And it was such an amazing way to train. But the color blindness came into it because he'd point at colors and go, is that red or green? And I thought it was a trick question. And I thought, it's obviously red. Why would he even think it's green? And I just thought he was testing me for my color knowledge. I thought maybe I'm in Brisbane and I talk differently. But how's this for random fate? When I was on Stradbroke Island and we were there when they were filming the Let's Dance film clip and Richard Shaw remembers this really, really white, white anemic girl because the whole cast was Aboriginal children and there was a really white, white anemic girl that kept running into set and that was me. (laughs) So it was really interesting to cross paths. Yeah, but he was incredible. Wow. Yeah, that's so cool. Let's go to the farm. Tell us about let's let let's go let's go back. Um, Farm. Tell us how what kind of kid were you? Um, You were a tomboy. Yeah. How big a farm? What did you want to do? It's not really a farm. Maybe I pushed that a little bit. Okay. Like eight acres or something. Oh Um, no! Well, that's a farm for me. City city guy. Donkeys and ducks. Had a duck called Disco. Um, So I grew up in Rochdale, Brisbane, on acreage. Tomboy. Um, my mom was aerobics instructor who became a bodybuilder. And I remember it so clearly. When I got home from school, my mom would do a thousand push ups every day. She was like crazy. She came from an era, and I, I'm not making this up, where for the Miss Universe pageant, we're talking bodybuilding, not talking modeling, that they would train till they vomited. That was how they trained back then, right? And my job when I came home from school, without even just saying hi, mum, would be to sit on her back why she'd push ups because she needed extra weight. And then when she got stronger, my job was then come home from school, Ray, don't take your backpack off, keep it on and sit on it. But I swatched the Flintstones and what she did. And I thought that was normal. Um, dad, builder, ex-Vietnam vet, 
um, Brisbane. And then, yeah, I, I went to school, didn't do very well at school, developed this really crazy condition called temaculus neuropathy, which is similar to MS, but MS is in the brain, mine's peripheral. So I was having lots of carpal tunnel operations when I was really young. And I I was cutting hair. I worked at Stefan's, finished my apprenticeship at 17. And my wrist was so sore I couldn't hold scissors. I kept dropping things. I didn't know what was going on. And we eventually found out what it was. So makeup, I just picked it up to do the formal girls at a salon. Never thought I'd be a makeup artist. Went to school in Brisbane, started my apprenticeship there. And then, yeah, I have a younger brother. Um, I remember thinking I wanted to be a vet, but what I realized it was all the animals we had had really long hair and I was always caught brushing and coloring and plaiting hair and I didn't have the grades to be a vet. And then it was actual fate that got me out of Brisbane and it was um, meeting Nomi Campbell. Tell us about that. You're in Istanbul. Oh, you've done your research. Yes, I was <laughs> Istanbul with a gorgeous model um, who's half Mauritian. I was in Istanbul with her and Naomi Campbell was a judge and I always say it's two seconds of her life that she never ever remembers that completely changed mine. So I'm in Brisbane and I'm doing hair and I met with this amazing photographer, Richard Chazel, who's to this day still one of the most iconic makeup artists. He's, he's Richard Shara genius, Pat McGrath genius. And I used to go and help him on shoots. So I sort of learnt a bit of makeup but never thought I'd be very good at makeup ever. I remember thinking if I did Dolly magazine one day, that would be like the most amazing thing ever. And I was in Istanbul doing hair and Nomi's makeup artist and her had a bit of a tiff. I was doing delegate VIPs, people's hair, because I only had one entrant to look after. So I had a lot of downtime and they thought I was really good, sort of Afro, really fuzzy hair. So they got me doing so many VIP guest hair and Naomi was in the same room. Her makeup artist stormed out. I don't know what happened, but I remember she had two mobile phones and was smoking. And she just glanced at me and said, fix my lips. And I panicked. Like, thank God. I looked at the table and I saw just clear lip gloss. And I thought, well, I can't go wrong. And I put clear lip gloss on her. Unfortunately, it was before internet even existed. But paparazzi came in, photographed us. And it was a picture of me doing her lips in the paper. I have not worked with Naomi since. But friends who have have brought up that story, she doesn't remember. And I don't expect her to. She's had so many makeup artists. And then, yeah, I was started to get booked as an international makeup artist. Sorry, Lee, you might not have known that, but I taught myself that, on the job. That is amazing. Crazy. What an extraordinary story. And, I mean, I've, you know, talked you up in the intro, but for anyone that, you know, wasn't really listening at the intro, Ray is now one of the top makeup artists in the world. Oh, well, thank you. I, I get really shy when people talk about me. I'm like, really? It's funny, I always think my last job, I always think, oh, I'll get better. Yeah, one day I'll get better. Oh, that's funny. part. That's, you know, yeah. that's part of, isn't, I think isn't so. it? You're always learning. Yeah. Every situation's different. You think every I, job's your last? Yeah. I think I might just, maybe I'll give you 15 minutes next time just to kind of keep the challenge in yeah, there. Yeah, great. In case awesome. you're just thinking, you know, yeah. you're pretty damn fine. Yeah. <laughs> Put some baby oil on my brushes. That always does it. <laughs> or a model that won't sit still. Or do it while you're driving in the location van. That's fun. Or when directors yeah. ask you to do makeup on a boat. Okay. What's moving oh, and travelling to location. Good. That's my favourite. All right. I'll keep that in mind if you get too cocky. Great. Okay, great. So tell us why were you talking backstage Naomi shows? Let's talk about runway. That's its own kind of, beast. you know. Yeah, exactly. Beast. So I think the last time we worked together was actually – when I was making that doco of the Melbourne Fashion That's Festival. Right. Yes. Remember when we were Of course, I do remember. Yeah, yeah. Fashion and festival. we were so yeah, Mario. Fashion Festival. I made a half hour doco and we were also 
delivering 45-second commercials every day to Channel 7 that ran right. on the news every night. So it was I'm that surprised in- we're still friends. <laughs> <laughs> I know that was that was intense. So tell me about that. Why is it that the hair and makeup team always ends up in this shitty little room <laughs> no, with bad air conditioning? Oh, I don't. And there's the hairspray, and there's this. It's like it becomes like a toxic environment. Thank you for bringing that up because it's like we're not the afterthought. I mean, we've had situations. We've had models pass out. We've had heat exhaustion. We've had. I mean, you name it, it goes on. And and look, the good thing about the one that we met on at Laura, I mean, that was actually a good room. That was a great room. Docklands had a, a bigger facility. But I think it is people just don't understand what we need. They think we can do makeup anywhere. But it's funny, though, when I went and started doing shows in Paris, it was the same thing. And I'm like, really? And it's this thing where all we need is lighting. Daylight would be great. Power. And we just can't have below, you know, 15 degrees would be great and nothing over 40. That's all I'm asking for. Yeah. But it's just one of those things. I think different people um, are from different camps and don't understand what's involved and we're just so used to it now so and it's really funny because in a lot of the shows they give you like two hours to turn 40 girls around and this is where the problem comes you'll get the younger designers that will pull out their Galliano references and Alexander McQueen which I've been on those shows and they can be three weeks of testing and eight hours a face and I'm not even kidding you some of those shows are six to eight hours for makeup for one face for one show and what I've learned you've got to go down to if this is a time you have have the best team possible and that's where I've always stood my ground the Melbourne actually was one of the best I think they had a budget that's why <laughs> they understand and respect the process and I've just always pushed to have an amazing team so my weakest member is still someone I would trust to do a celebrity if I wasn't there. And that's where everything is so much yeah. easier. I remember you had Jacqueline Kayla yeah, there yeah. working She's with amazing. you. She's a gun. She's a gun. Andrea, yeah. um, even people like Victoria Barron, who's done probably the last 20 Vogue covers, she did like four years yeah. with me, Sarah Laidlaw, um, Joel Phillips, later. all of them have become superstars. And we respect each other. And I love the fact that half my team were out doing Vogue and Harper's and it was great. The the festival respected it. And you hear these horror stories about models, but they're just great. They want to look amazing. And they will hold brushes for you too and they'll yeah. you know, help you out. And so it, it's actually – I really enjoy, I do enjoy it. So out of all the different mediums, uh, what's your favourite? I do love the plastic surgery stuff. I find it, it's a world that no makeup artist is allowed into that I get to see. There's some things I can't unsee, which is really difficult, like – there's things like cadaver training and all that kind of stuff, which is fascinating. Um, but then fashion weeks I love because as a makeup artist, you don't get to work with other artists. You're a solo person. So fashion weeks are definitely the hype and I, I love it. And it's all about planning well. But then I'd have to say if I had to do only one job for the rest of my life every day, I call it the close-up macro beauty. So the stuff that I do for Harper's or Vogue or just that really close-up, it's all about the makeup. Too bad if the hair's not in shop, poor hairdressers. Um, don't care about the shoes or the dress. Sorry, stylist, but it's just me and a really amazing photographer who can just light the living daylights out of something. Doesn't need to retouch. And I get creative freedom. And I find it's when I am allowed to make mistakes or when I can just go crazy. Some of my best shots have happened after I've done 17 makeups prior to it. So, But I like those spaces where it's not a paid job, it's a creative job and I call them a, sub- a submission, I think is what we used to call it. Um, and 
we get a really strong team of people and you can fail in front of people. I know that sounds crazy, but it's my favorite thing. And I find when there's no fear, I push things a lot harder than what I would. Because, you know, I've got to worry about clients and magazines and blah, blah. But, yeah, I love doing those where there's no client. Just me and a model and photographer. Sounds great. And is that editorial as well as advertising? Not many people know this, but I was one of the first makeup artists that would do my own editorials and just send them to the magazines. And a lot of the Vogue and Harper's, most of their shoots, beauty shoots, were commissioned, like from their British Vogue or... Commissions at the work? Well, come from an, another country. Yeah, yeah, yeah so right. they would use their yeah. shot in Paris because yeah, gotcha. our magazine came out later. It yeah. was still really current. Gotcha. And because with the beauty editors and being with L'Oreal and being in front of them a lot, I used to think, well, why am I going to wait? You know, I'm a young artist for Vogue and that to pay me to shoot beauty stuff, which doesn't really happen here. I'm just going to shoot it myself. I used to ring up the editors and say, are you looking for something? And they go, oh, look, have any red lip shots? We'd love to do a story. And what was great about that, they weren't pressured to use it. I wasn't pressured either but it got the crew excited so the model knew they could possibly be in Harper's. The photographer thought I could possibly have a full page story and nearly all my shots on Instagram, all my Vogue, everything I did on my own. They were all my briefs, all my idea and then when they get published with Vogue or Harper's Beauty printed on those pages internationally it was amazing but I was the only one doing that. And then from that, all my advertising clients, funny enough, have come from all the jobs that I've directed myself. And the great thing about that, this is what my favorite bit, is with you pushy directors (laughs) and advertising that go, you have an hour. What I love is when they've taken your photo as the reference, it's your image, they can't argue on time because I did it. And what I love about that too, when they find out that I art directed, did the whole shoot, When a client books me, they know that I had a big part to do with that image. It wasn't just something I was told to do. So I think they trust me more. Wow, there's a great lesson in that. I mean, it always comes back to being able to initiate your own things, take initiative and, you know, generate your own content, doesn't it? Especially now. Look at it now. You are your own magazine. Yeah, that's that's right with Instagram and all the rest of it. And, yeah, I was saying that to my daughter the other day. You know, if you sit around and wait to be discovered – you'll be probably waiting your whole life. Absolutely. You just have to make it happen and create your own luck, as they say. Absolutely. And I think even with singers and makeup artists, it's like, well, you know, there was a process that happened, but now with social media, it's one song, just one song and your life can change. One image as an artist and your life's changing. And it's like, you know, I think people do want to see authenticity. They want to see the making of a song. I mean, my my favourite job is, by the way, being around musicians. I just, oh, my God, it's my fantasy that I could belt out a vocal, which I can't um, at all. <laughs> so, look, it sounds sounds like everything you've touched has turned to gold. I, I know, Not always. <laughs> I, yeah, I know that's a few not the case. mistakes on the way. <laughs> yeah, so tell us about a few of the mistakes, a few of the barriers, a few of the like, oh, my God, this is the end of my career, like yeah. to give um, inspiration to people out there who are thinking, oh, my God, you know, how am I ever going to succeed as a makeup artist or really any anything in the arts or any, any job? Um, I, I mean, I remember one job that I honestly left, and you'd know this makeup artist, Dottie, Oh, I know her well. She's oh, she so she's who I assisted after training with Richard Shara, and she like if anyone listening um, is one of the biggest makeup artists in the world. She's Alicia Keys, um, full time makeup artist, and Harry Styles. Wow! So she looks after both of them she, and she does did, Italian Vogue. And she did uh, probably my favorite music video I directed for Kate yeah. uh, for a song called True Romantic. Oh, her no in way. the red leather jacket. Dottie did the makeup oh, for wow. Kate that day, and it's probably the best face uh, I met and makeup. Kate. 
Kate, Kate's ever had. Well, I met Kate assisting Dottie on a job. So there was something she did, and it was an appearance, or it was wow. something that she did. And I remember it was the first time, but just must have been just around that time, must about have 20, been. 20 years ago. Probably, yeah, that's Nick, exactly. Nick Samartis did the photos. Oh my goodness, Nick. yeah, and um, and Dottie did the makeup. And we're yeah. still around. We're still. Look that's what that. I love. Oh, you know? we're survivors. Yeah, we are. So, <laughs> you know what I think it is. I'm being very general here. The younger ones want it all now. I just think you need time to grow. And most clients as makeup artists, if they're going to take a makeup artist away on a trip, they don't always want the young ones. They want the older ones that can carry the emotions of people who are away and and mother sometimes the younger artists or models or whoever. And I'm 50 this year, but only five years ago, I was still one of the youngest on the team. So you look at the Pats and the Bargarlands and all that, you know, they're in their 50s and in, in, even Karl Lagerfeld working right up till the moment he died. And I think it's getting better in Australia now, but in Europe, like, age is really embraced. It's really, really embraced. I know you asked me a question. Oh, so, oh, so the question is some, oh. some of the disasters okay, and, and barriers that, okay. you, that you've pushed through. Okay, disaster. One of the biggest ones is I airbrushed the Australian ballet with Dulux house paint. That's probably my most traumatized. It was with Dottie. I was assisting her. Here's the client. You ready for this? Fairfax and Roberts jewelry. So each ballerina had two to five million dollars worth of diamonds. They wanted all the ballerinas painted jet black. And they, it was at the Opera House and it was at night and the whole place was painted black. So all you saw were these diamonds and jewels floating and moving through the air. They're on the ballerinas. Ballerinas weren't to be seen. So I was given the job as an airbrush artist to airbrush everybody and Dottie directed the makeup. And as I'm airbrushing the Australian Ballet, this room in the Sydney Opera House is being painted with Dulux house paint, jet black. So that's what was happening. So we could just smell paint fumes for days. There's 22 ballerinas. I'm on model number seven. And I said to my new assistant, as that paint runs out, you just keep filling up. So she's new. I hope you got that word, new assistant. (laughs) That's the important part of this story. And then as I got to ballerina, like number nine, I noticed their arms are like sticking. And I've had a few of the girls go, oh, Ray, I've sat down. I can't get off the chair. I'm a bit stuck. And I'm like, oh, that's a bit odd airbrush airbrush and as I got six more models into it I turned around and my new assistant was filling up my airbrush gun but not with the airbrush paint she was getting the tins of Dulux and pouring that in and I remember that moment I had my team of airbrushes so I knew they could take over and do the other ballerinas but I'd painted six at least head to toe with Dulux house paint Um, and I remember going I'm never going to work again my job is over so I actually packed up and just left I thought what I'm going to do to myself emotionally is going to be so bad. I can't face more humiliation right now. I'm just going to leave. I told my team members what I'd done. And apparently, I don't know how, but they got it off them. And that was one of the worst experiences of my life. Um, There's a few funny ones where I've messed up celebrities thinking someone is someone else. That's another long story. I think the biggest issue for me is knowing I didn't have an art background, couldn't paint. I'd work along other artists as I was assisting and watch them. And I had really shaky hands and I was never still steady and, and just never thinking I was cool enough. I remember moving from Brisbane to Sydney. This is no word of a lie. I lived for a moment with Joe Grogan, who was the head of Sony Music at the time and a really good friend of mine. And that's why I was living there. And the first person who was at her house was Kylie Minogue. And I think Neil Diamond called. It was one of these moments... And I thought I was so uncool. So probably the biggest thing was anxiety, just feeling like, how do I even get booked on this job? So that 10 years of therapy, 
Um, definitely helped me along that path. But yeah, insecurity. But every artist I speak to that has done well says the same thing. Don't know why we beat ourselves up. Just do. So advice to others would be just, you know, keep going, throw yourself off the ledge and just, just do as many people and faces as you can. This is what I always say. What would you do or attempt to do if you knew for sure you could not fail? That's the first thing. Secondly, what I've learned now is eat, drink and breathe. Only look and absorb the world's best artists. Because when you fill your brain with the Pat McGrath images, Peter Phillips, these are my favourite makeup artists, you know, your Val Garland's, um, Charlotte Tilbury's, your standard and your taste just lift. So I think you just got to plug yourself into the world's best artists and you've got to do it if no one was watching and you weren't getting paid. I always say to artists, they said, I'm not sure if I'm meant for this industry. Well, if you have a day off and you're not working or have children to look after, are you doing makeup? And it's about becoming just really good at your craft. And it's an amazing industry. It is the good thing and bad thing. The good thing is you don't need to have extreme qualifications. I mean, I always say to artists, if you're picking up a brush now give yourself a year to two years before to earn money it does take a long time to get your craft and the confidence will never be there but I think once I start to talk to other artists and realize it's just an anxiety thing and I've learned to manage it but most artists I think we find the faults in things that's what makes us become perfectionist so I think in being a perfectionist there is a darker side but I'm glad because every makeup where even the one I did this morning there's never been a makeup I've looked at and gone that's perfection not once I'll look back and go that brow hair is not right or that lip is one percent too shiny and I used to beat myself up about that and I don't now I'm like no I'm glad I'm glad I find what's wrong with that because next time and yeah so Having that balance and not torturing yourself, but talking about with other artists, you, you, there's a great tribe in our industry. It's not the bitchy catty one that people, I mean, I'm sure they exist, but surround yourself around really good people. Yeah, that's beautiful. Um, I have a lot of affinity for makeup artists because my mum was a makeup I artist. I just found out. <laughs> I didn't know. Why wasn't she with me on set? What's going on? Um, well, you know, in a lot of the early music videos, she did come along. Um, you know, she did catering. She did this. She actually did do some makeup on extras and some wow. some of the early productions my brother and I did. What's your mum's name? Coral. Coral. Coral Hi, Rogers. Coral. I'm sitting here looking. You have so much taste, by the way. It's about to throw <laughs> on your couch and all the Kate Moss Vogue books I'm staring Sorry, this might sound weird to her later, but she's, she's what a, tasteful, what a tasteful woman. She's a cool grandma. She was a part-time makeup artist for Revlon for about wow. 10 years. And wow. actually, she was just telling me yesterday when I was telling her I was going to be chatting with you, she said, tell her that I was part of the first group of girls teaching makeup at TAFE. Wow. At, at like the first year of wow. makeup at TAFE, it didn't which is like a technical exist. college for anyone that doesn't know what That's TAFE is. Yeah, amazing. Yeah, isn't that cool? And then she, you know, and she'd do weddings, she'd do this, yeah. she'd do that, she'd do grooming and deportment, and you know. But you know what? That's where I believe the real talent and why so many successful artists are the older ones because there was no digital. There's they had to understand film and light and. I mean, the technical ability they had to have. See, now we can – this is a fact, Lee, that I shouldn't probably say to you, but when directors like you come up to me and say, we're going to be using tungsten light, we're going to be shooting at a fifth – I still don't know what that means. Um, and the thing with digital, we can just see it. And I always say to myself, just make them look pretty. If they're too shiny, powder it down. <laughs> That's what I <laughs> um, so I never understand the technical language. I understand when if you say it's going to be bright light or warm light or contrast, I get that, but all the technical lighting words. But your mum would know all of that. 
That's amazing. She, yeah, she was a nurse too. So, you know, oh, she wow. stabbed someone or, you she know, fix she, she fixed them up. That's brilliant. It's like very, very handy. I said to my husband like, during COVID, I'm like, you know, there's been times where I've wanted to shut the door really hard on you as you walk out the door. And if there's a bruise, don't worry, I can cover it. <laughs> <laughs> so um, let's talk about the L'Oreal years. You've, yeah. got all, you've got all these eras. I, I love do, this. actually, yeah. now that I think about it. So what, you were the global creative director or I'd makeup director? I'd love to director. say global, but what Australasian. Were you? You're Australian. Australian. Yeah. Um, I was the longest service. So L'Oreal have only two directors. I think they had three eventually, but there was only ever two. Yeah. Um, James Kalaros and myself. And I was, he was there, I think, for five years. I was I was signed for ten, but there for twelve, um, and it was ama- it was amazing because it was you know biggest cosmetic company in the world. Being so far away from Paris, where everything was born, and working with them in Australia, and but the great thing about it was I didn't work just for Laura. What I loved is that was a big part of my job, but it was only probably six weeks maximum of the year, so it was really important to me to stay the artist and still do the editorial and the fashion because you just kind of have to. I think. You know, it's different now, but back then I didn't want to become just the brand person. You have to still be out there and be a cutting edge. I always yeah. just say to them, you know, I, I still want artists to still be inspired by me, but I don't want to look like I'm ever selling to someone. Because when you work with one brand, I never wanted to be that artist that I only use one product. And it wasn't true. And I love that they came on board with that. Yeah. So I do the L'Oreal stuff and then. Right. So were you were you testing things or you were mostly yeah. you were testing, you were doing their photo shoots for a yep. new product with local celebs yep. or talent. Yeah. All all of that. Yeah, and launches. That was yep. a fun and it was it was really fun, like because obviously the seasons are different. Sometimes there were days like, okay, here's the latest lipstick, it's glittery, bright orange, yellow eyeshadow and purple mascara and go and off you go and you've got to like release that and I used to always go okay well that's not going to suit that because some makeup is great on certain faces but my job was to make that relatable and make women want to wear makeup that's my job it's a consumer brand it was challenging but I liked the creative freedom so I was one of the first artists that would take lipsticks and go let's use this as eyeshadows because I don't like glittery lipstick makes lips look dry and they were, they were amazing you know they were just so great to work for and I I'd met a lot of the spokeswomen when they came to Australia. Um, that was also incredible. I interviewed Andy McDowell oh, on that yeah. uh, in that campaign, which was cool. That was amazing. They had yeah. like Jane Fonda, uh, Doutson, yeah. Crows, she was yep. there. And we had beautiful Barbara Palvin. Yeah, it was just so nice to be part of a brand. I mean, now that I look back, it's like, wow, the budgets too. I yeah. mean, I remember in, in those days, the media, MTV and fashion TV, everyone would come out. And I mean, I'm really grateful for Kate Heliotis, who was my boss at L'Oreal at the time. And the amount of PR and media she gave me, they believed in me so much. I mean, yeah. the, yeah, the they, trust they gave me. Yeah, yeah. That's like, wow. They totally did. I know. Um, let's drop some names. So oh, we, we dropped we? a few there. Tell right. us some of the names you've done okay. their faces. Well, um, this is what I always say up front when I'm chatting about slaves. I only say positives because my all my experiences have always been good. I've seen a few little crazy things. But, um, okay, so Pink, I've done many a job with her. She's seriously one of my favourite humans. Um, as is Jessica Malboy, I get asked, who's your favourite? And when I work with her, my husband likes me better afterwards. So he loves that. And I always walk away wanting to be a better person. Um, oh, from Hugh Jackman, Daryl Hannah, Cindy Lauper, every Australian, Miranda Kerr, Jennifer Hawkins, um, all the Aussies. 
Um, this is not Aussie, but I was booked for Duran Duran and I was the head of the John Taylor fan club at school. And this is the only job in my life that I've declined. And the reason was I thought, what happens if that nervous 16 year old Ray comes back? And I visualized John Taylor as, you know, when I was 16 and he's definitely aged a little bit, which we all have. And I thought, I just don't want to see them as older rock stars. I, it was crazy. So yeah, that's cute. I could put them on my list, but I can't now. Um, Snoop Dogg, that was fun. Oh, that was one of my favourites. That was just hilarious. Um, yeah, I, there's a long list. Yeah, yeah, no, I got yeah. you. So, Kate Blanchett. Oh, no, yeah. sorry, no, no, I said on Kate Blanchett. Jessica Biel. Okay. I loved yeah, her. Cool. She was heaven. Yeah. And um, tell me about Trini, Trini from Trini and Susanna. I, I watched one of your, uh, the, the smoky eye tutorial <laughs> you are this really- morning. Wow, she's oh, okay. she's a character, isn't she? My God, have you met her? Like personally, I, met her? I work with her in London. Uh, you tell me your story; okay. I'll tell you mine. So my favourite story is: so I was booked for them for Westfield, and um, never met them before. Never met them, and I just had done the Gokwan tour, and we're still very close friends. So I got an idea of the craziness of these tours. Actually, no, that's a lie. Carlson Cresley was first. Then I met Trini and Susanna, and I remember opening the door. I was, so I had hair. Sarah doing hair. I was doing makeup. Went to Susanna's room. And now this is no word of a lie. I opened the door. She was completely naked, like no underwear and just so relaxed. I was like, hi. And the room, and she knows I've spoken about this before, the room was trash. Like she just got there. Everything fell out. There was just stuff everywhere. She was here for a month. So she looked, but I didn't even, couldn't even find a desk space. Had to get another desk. She didn't care what I did. Don't care. Lay down, sleep. Most relaxed, chilled, calm. Are you in a hurry? No. Take longer. Do you mind if I sleep while you make up? I, and I finished when I have a look, no, no, I'm really happy. And then I remember she FaceTimed Scissor Sisters during the thing because she's friends with them. And I went, okay, great. So I'm like really relaxed and chill. Like, okay, I've got to go next door to Trini. Open the door. This woman, she was backlit, so beautiful. She had a Louis Vuitton robe tied like I'm talking – I don't know how she got it in such order. It was OCD. And then she had her clothes were already steamed in perfect order. She had, I would say, a hundred bottles of vitamins in order. And then her makeup station was like something out of a Chanel store. I have never in my life. The oil's burning. She had the yoga mat down. And she sat in this chair and closed her eyes. And I could just feel like she's not going to give me anything. That wall's going to be up. She's going to test and see if I can do it. And I remember just the difference in energy. And she sat there and I was really nervous. I always get asked, do I get nervous of celebrities? I don't. I get nervous of who else has done their makeup. So when I'm doing pink, I know that last week Pat McGrath did a makeup. So these people have the world's best people do their face so they can compare me. So I was doing a makeup and she, I was trying to be nice and nope, she'd want to chat. Fine. I get it. Okay. I'm getting really scared. And then I did a makeup and I gave her the mirror and she just looked at me and she goes, you're fabulous. And I went, oh, and then she's like, great. And then it was instant. So what I like is this. And then it was this instant love. It was this instant moment of, wow, I got her. What's really good though is I think I straight up I knew she'd want to talk and some people can see that as being rude and to me it's not. I believe it's when people know the job that I have to do and if they're still and quiet I can really do it but for artists it can be really uncomfortable. It's that awkward silence but she taught me sit in that awkwardness and do your job because that way I can't turn around and say oh you move too much and she won't stop talking. I'm fully responsible if that makeup doesn't look amazing. A very amazing trick I felt that she didn't realise that she was doing. Wow. Pink did the same when she does her makeup and hair. 
when she goes to set, we ask, you know, are you happy? She always says, I don't know, are you? It's interesting because that way there's no blame on her. It's our fault. So I kind of like that. Wow. Scary. Wow. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. How's your story? Oh, my God. So I directed the the first Westfield What's What campaign, which was the year before the one you did. Yeah. I did them for about three years in a row. Oh, in the we, UK? Yeah. Oh. So, so we flew over for the first one, a bunch of us, yeah. to the UK for the first ad to promote their forthcoming tour with Trini and Susanna. You know, spending a lot of money flying us over. We turn up the first day. We turn up to the studio. We find that the contract hasn't been signed. Oh. So we've all flown over. Their contract with Westfield hasn't been signed. We're there to shoot the ad. Oh. We turn up to the studio and they're screaming, Trini, <laughs> Susanna. <laughs> yeah, makeup's, when they go. Makeup's meant to be done. Hair's meant to be done. They're meant to be ready to go. Nothing started. They're just screaming on the phone to their agent. And their agent was the same agent as um, Harry Potter. Oh, at, wow. At the time. Wow. So we're hearing this, you know, Uber agent, all of this stuff. And we're just like, oh, my God, this is going to be a nightmare. And I've got to get, you know. These warm, like you. These, these warm performances <laughs> and funny and all the rest of it. And I'm just like, oh, this is going to be a tough day at the office. Anyway, they eventually got through it. And once they were on set, they were fabulous. They're amazing. And she, she was yeah. warm and wonderful. Yeah. Um, but you never was- see what goes on behind Listen, but I do what I really respected about them when something was stressful, not going right. There was things that weren't right, and even I saw they weren't right. Everyone else saw they weren't right. Yeah. It's like no, they're going to say it. I'm like, I'm glad because a lot of talent go through management, so you get this. Oh, everything's amazing, and, and you know they're whispering to the management ears, and then you hear it from them. That's when it all goes to shit because no one's knowing what's going on. But I really like. They will love you and they will give you a hundred and a million percent and they just want some boxes ticked. But if you don't tick those boxes, yeah. yeah. Yeah, No, that's right. Yeah. Results. They get results. Totally. So let's talk about your books. There's been six of them, I I believe. And are they all bestsellers or just? Yeah. 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 So first one, this is kind of funny story. I get asked, funny actually, music tie-in. So Natalie Bassingthwaite's manager, who's also passed, Mark Byrne, he came to me and said, oh, I've got friends who work for a book publishing company called Alan and Unwin, and they want to do a makeup book. And I went, no, don't want to do a makeup book. Who's going to buy a makeup book? And I can't. I'm dyslexic, blah, blah, And he said, no, I really think you should come and meet them. And I went, oh, okay, all right. So I met them not at the office at a cafe in Crow's Nest, and they were talking about their ideas. And I think that in my – I'm going straight to, like, Vogue. I'm like, I want best photographer. I want models. I want this. And they're kind of like, well, we want, like, a TV week attachment to go on the back of, like, the Family Circle magazine. I'm like, no, don't want to do it. And my ego was getting in there. So I kind of said no. And then – that sort of disappeared and Mark Byrne came back to me and said, Ray, just so you know, a publisher never approaches an unknown person who's never written a book and offers them a book deal. It's like me knocking on a door and going, hi, here's a Sony deal. Doesn't happen. Said, that doesn't happen. And I went, oh. He said, maybe you should just tell them what you want, part two. Met these ladies again. And these ladies were really sweet. I remember thinking how bad their makeup was. I, thought, oh my. I could help them so much. They were just using the wrong colours and it was too Spice Girl sparkly. Um, and... They were asking me the same questions and it back to the TV week. And, and, and I'm like, I cancelled a job to talk about exactly the same thing that we talked. So I'm getting annoyed. So then that went away and Mark's like, did that go well? And I went, well, not really because I still want to. So then there was a third meeting 
And then I'm getting really annoyed and I cancel. It was an a-, a day of an advertising job. And Mark said, no, this will be the last minute. I said, but I, I need this. He goes, Ray, like they've booked it in. You know how our jobs come last minute. So I already went to the meeting annoyed and I'm sitting there and the same questions just started exactly the same because I'm just, it's really embarrassing what I'm about to say. But I said, Alan Unwin, I've never even heard of you before. Like, can you tell me a book that you've published that I may have heard of? And out pulled, I'm sure it was like Shantaram, Harry Potter, like the biggest books. And I just remember going, you you so deserve that. And then from that, I thought, wow, these are such respected people who've got, and I, the whole thing shifted. And first book, um, thought no one would ever buy it. Um, we shot it. It was difficult because I had no control on what they published, what they printed. Um, I was I was happy with everything I printed. I wanted to have options with photos, you know what I'm like, and and have you know perfect print checks and all that. And it's was on the bestseller list. It's gone bestseller over ten times. I have lost count. Um, every year for ten years, it's number one. Um, we've never. I, I know, right? It's in Russian, Polish. And what's that called? This is the ultimate guide. The first yep. one, and funny, I remember doing the cover and I had a picture of Catherine McNeil and Miranda Kerr. And Miranda Kerr hadn't even gone to America yet, hadn't even got Maybelline yet. And I'm like, oh, you know what? Miranda Kerr, no, I don't think she'll be as big as Queen. I knew she'd be big, but everyone will know who Catherine McNeil was. So I put Catherine McNeil on the cover. The day I shot her, she got flown to New York and Stephen Mizell put a year contract on her that no one could photograph her for a whole year. So when the book came out, no one had any idea and Miranda's career has gone through the roof. But anyway, it was still amazing to have her in the book. And then I did a second one and a third, which again, I never thought they would sell one. But I think maybe because I did everything via recording because I can't spell and I'm hopeless at typing. Um, And it was one of the first ones, again, breaking down the real deal, how I really do things. It wasn't all polished and all the step-by-steps weren't retouched. But then the last one, this one nearly broke us, but has been amazing since we decided to do it on our own. Um, And this is when the Fibonacci and all that FI sequence had been taught to me. So the way I had approached makeup and what I'd learned had completely changed. And I had an amazing designer who you may know, Delano um, from 360 in Melbourne. He's my creative and art director and he's a genius and he just pushed and pushed me on this book it's supposed to take six months it took two and a half years he even flew to China to watch him run the print through the print press to make sure it ran left to right like all this stuff the boxes in his Imiyaki um, box it it yeah it was a very expensive project um, to do and we're giving proceeds of that to the Cambodian Children's Trust all the books ones went to UNICEF I think two UNICEF and one Amnesty and yeah so it was something that is a love job um, it's thick and it's and unfortunately if you are doing a book we are 00.1 gram in the next brackets so when we career out it costs us double the price I'm like can I just like whip a few pages out <laughs> I can't do that <laughs> so uh, every time I do one I say never again because there's just you know so now I have this online masterclass where it's live you can watch one class um, as many times as you like or you can sit and watch it live with me so you get to ask the questions and see everything Um, and the book also has apps and all that kind of thing we have to do another podcast in a month because the news I'll have then is going to be so massive, but I can't talk about it yet. But there's something okay. also amazing happening. Okay. And I did a brush line in between all that too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So tell me about the brushes. You went to Japan and you worked with the master craftsman. Tell me this, tell me about that process. I love this because the word master in Japan gets thrown around a lot, but this is my favourite story. So with brushes, I always loved art brushes. Calligraphy brushes just have a 
better blending point than most makeup brushes. But the range and calligraphy brushes is like this for, and that's it. So I used to get makeup brushes. I found a beautiful brush maker who was Korean, who used to take my brushes and shade them to like a calligraphy point and just do them for me personally. And they were only ever for me for no other reason. I never wanted to start a brand. I just wanted to have brushes for myself. And when you work with calligraphy brushes, the way you blend completely changes. What takes a normal brush, say 20 strokes to blend something perfect, a calligraphy based brush will take four to five strokes. That's it. And also calligraphy brushes are designed to pick up heavy black paint that can be quite long brushes and touch a white canvas but the artist can feel when the paint touches the canvas through the vibration of the brush right I know and the great thing about calligraphy brushes is that with pressure the stroke size changes but the edges are still clean and beautiful so if you watch the way a Japanese artist writes they can do really fine strokes really thick with one stroke just by changing the pressure so as a makeup artist what's amazing if you've got small eyes medium eyes blah 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 one brush you feel weird because the biggest response I get is I'm kind of done so you can give me those 15 minute makeup and off I go so um so I was making them just for myself makeup artists started to ask me could I could I make them for them so I started to do that had my contact to make them and then we're going to find the best brush makers in the world let's just start do a trip and just do some research and the tsunami had hit at that time and then the Korean brush maker knew a company in Shanghai, cut a long story short. And I designed, which I never thought anyone ever has done before. Um, it's a magnet in a brush, which no one's ever done. I can't believe no one's thought of it before, but they stand up so they don't fall over. When you travel them, they don't move. You can put 200 brushes on a space size of like your hand. Um, incredible. So... Then a bad thing at a time, another career low was one of the, I think she's the biggest in the world. Um, this, uh, she's a great makeup artist. She's Korean. Her name is Pony. And I think she has 200 million subscribers. She copied my brushes, like copied them um, to the frame. And their patent was pending and all that. Kelly Rowland, I was looking after, long story, but her manager, amazing, is Suzanne. She's Korean. And she's just emailed me going, oh my goodness, all my career friends. And I didn't have to do anything because she posted it. And then the next day, I'm kind of a little bit famous in Korea <laughs> because they exposed that, no, you've copied Ray and here's her brushes. And, and she did two years before and she came out. I didn't have to do anything, so it was great. And she came out. It was really sweet. Anyway, look, Chanel can't stop it. Louis Vuitton can't stop it. Yeah. So then I thought I need to do something that no one can copy. I need just to do – what can I do? I and then it was a magic moment. And there's in Japan, look at a long story short, there's only ever been 40 masters of craft ever awarded in Japanese history. You can be a master, but a master of craft is you have to have a hundred year history in what you do. Um, and it only is for samurai sword makers and for calligraphy brush makers. And a calligraphy brush, some brushes can take 10 years to make. And I have one that's actually priceless. Um, and they take 10 years to make. And there's minimum 70 steps to make one brush. So a makeup brush is three to five steps, 70 for a calligraphy brush. Um, and then through the masters, I found there's only one master of craft left alive in the world my man, <laughs> my man. So it was back and forth, back and forth. He'd only make very high-end brushes and for incredible famous Japanese artists. Um, and we had a connection where a woman in Switzerland who I love, Sonia, she flies to Japan and she's got, a, I would say, a half a million dollar. I'm not exaggerating. Maybe 
between two hundred fifty thousand and half million dollar collection of brushes, and so she would go to him and buy personal ones. And so, so it was the introduction that was all we needed. So we got an introduction. We went there, and what it is is there's one brush, and I'll, I'll send you a picture. It's a Tefano brush, and it's where the whole head of the brush can be made into like a lotus flower. So every brush is naturally coloured. The handle is called what it's called because it has to be from wood that's over a thousand years old, but the tree had to have fallen naturally. Like the history in it's insane. Actually, right now we are meant to be there filming the documentary on him, but because of COVID, we can't be there. So when we tracked him down, my husband's like, you've got to be kidding. How on earth are you going? I went, well, you just watch me. And it was really interesting because he has a very small family business and we were doing quite well with the brushes, but we wanted to move it forward. And he agreed. And I think the moment that he agreed is the second trip when I bought my daughter, who was two at the time, and he had a granddaughter, same age. And there was this instant love. No one speaks any English. It was so much fun. And they're out out past Hiroshima. And we've still to this day, I, I really feel like family. And then my brushes have been made. So they're made by the last living master of craft left alive in the world. Um, my brushes start at 62 steps and go up from there. How's this? The emperor of Japan who got married last year wanted one gift. And it was for him to make one guest. He had 100 guests. 100 guests, one of his brushes. So his history. He's got a sake farm too. Um, And then the latest thing that we've just done, he's designed a hair that we didn't know he was even working on because I always wanted to be vegan hair, but vegan hair is too much like plastic. It's good in theory for some things, but vegan hair, it just picks up powder and just drops everywhere. But it's a patented world first micro crystal fiber hair. So imagine a a, a fiber that replicates hair. So now it's just come out. Um, they've only gone into store in the last three months. And so now I've got the work. I love it. I can now quote only brushes made by Master of Crafts, last one left alive in the world. Uh, we've got point technology and we have this fiber. That, so it's softer than mink, but stronger. Um, and yeah, it's, it's the biggest game changer. And no one in the world's done anything close wow. to that. So. He doesn't make each and every brush. No, he makes but the, 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 the one and then it's yeah, replicated. Yeah, so we filmed the process and it's yeah. beautiful to watch. So what's amazing, he does a few of them. We want to, we actually, a little bit of a secret out here, we are doing a very small line where from beginning to end he's made the whole thing. There'll be very limited editions. Um but to be a master, which you can hear that word a lot, um, to be a master, you've had to have worked under a master of craft for a minimum of uh, 20 years to get that title. And in Kamano town where he is, there's only, I think, six or seven masters left and four of them are working with him. So his family business are made up by this incredible and like when I met uh, Sawa, like some of the beautiful people there, the brush makers, um, I remember one of the girls and her job is she makes the glass. That the, When you see the way it's made, it's incredible. It looks like upside down vodka shot glasses that she, she does that part. And I said, look, if I want to work here, like get a job here, let's say I'm, don't even pay me. She said, I'm not allowed to sweep the floor until I've worked under a master who's worked for 10 years before I'm allowed to take step into like, – the history, that's why I want to film it because it's. I watched that, the sushi documentary and the um, and I was like, wow, this story has to be told. Even wow. if you're not into brushes, just watching 
the process Those is incredible. Oh, yeah, wow. The patience, something I don't have. Yeah, wow. Yeah. So if your orders, if brushes are out of stock, that's that's because the time, that's the only thing you're like, damn, why can't they speed this up? But they just can't. And that's gotcha. what's beautiful about it. Okay. Yeah. Gotcha. Well done. Oh, one last, that, oh, one last that, thing. Yeah, yeah. Oh, the handle's made ergonomically like a violin, so you can feel the vibration. So every, wow. every, yeah, so it's got that same technology in it that you can close your eyes and as an artist you can touch skin on eyebrow hair and I can feel. Wow. So, yeah. And not, okay. we don't, you know, tell everyone yeah. that stuff, but okay. it's nice no, to have. Okay, that's cool. That's yeah. amazing. So, in Australia, we're at Mecca or Netta Porter. Um, there's a lot of other and big softwages. Ray and, Morris brushes. Yeah. yeah, and there's a Ray Morris singer in the UK. I get her, her emails and she gets mine. There's a big singer in the UK <laughs> spelt the same R-A-E. So, just go okay. raymorris.com and then we have links to okay. everywhere and okay, cool. all that stuff. Can I ask about lashes? Yes. It just seems like, you know, the, the phenomena of long lashes is just extraordinary. Uh, yeah. What, no, what are your, no. yeah. What's your vibe on that? I don't, look, I... We actually had this exact conversation this morning. So, first of all, I hate all the crazy mascara claims. I was only talking about this this morning. Every time a woman or a man buys a mascara with the, oh, it gives you conditioning and puts these vitamins and makes your lashes. I'm sorry, but my lashes have been the same for the last 20 years. I don't know anyone that's walking around with longer, luscious, blow-dryable lashes. So, all those client claims, I don't believe them, most of them. Um, unless I've missed something. Um, but then the other thing too, lashes can be great. A lot of women who have the, um, the extensions, the problem is I find that when they have them done, they're lying down and looking them with light coming from underneath. When you put too many lashes on, if you're, you'd know this being filming, how hard it is to film out in daylight between 10 and 2, you get the sun on top of your head. Well, if you've got a lot of lashes on, you just created the worst shadows under your eyes. So there's a problem with that. Also, if they're too long, the weight of them so they go down in the eye before they go up you can't see like actually your eyes aren't bright so look I'm not a fan um there is a couple of eyelash extension places that do minimal I love the ones where I can't even tell they're there um you just got to be really careful less is more and they can also hold are they if they're really big and curvy and thick they give you dark shadows you can't see your eyes as well um and also they catch makeup dust so, so yeah they're no I'm not a fan and I love some of my favorite beauty shots and beauty stories there are no lashes. It's really hard though. It's like women in lip gloss. It's, I know I'm the same. Like, it's like, oh my God, I need mascara or something. It's a taste thing as well. Yeah. You know, it's like people who love lots and lots and lots of spray tan. If it looks natural and believable, I'm always for that. Like I'm happy to push things, but I think what keeps the beautifulness is, is having some form of, is it false lashes or they've just got crazy yeah. naturally long ones? Yeah, yeah, that's that's my aesthetic. Yeah, that's that's my taste too. Yeah, I know. Yeah. That's why we're here. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I say yes to other jobs with you. <laughs> I know I'm safe. <laughs> um, and Instagram, can we talk yes. about? Yeah. Are, are we okay for yeah, time? Yeah, of course we are. Okay, great. Um, and if you you know want to even out the flow and ask me any question, oh, you're, will, you're welcome you to at some point. I've got some. Okay, cool. Uh, Instagram, tell me about that because it's changed the world. Changed, changed the, the world. way we are. There, there you go. Yeah. It's changed makeup. It's changed the Direct beauty business. Your job. It's cha- yeah, changed my business. Yep. Yeah, it's kind of disrupted and turned the whole world upside yep. down in many ways. So, yep. 
how how are you using Instagram and where do you see it going? Yep. Do you post paid things on nope. your Instagram? You yep. don't? Nope. Just, okay. Okay. So but have you watched The Social Dilemma yet? I haven't. You, I've, about 10 people over the last two to. weeks have told me to watch it. You but, have. Everyone, okay. Netflix, The Social Dilemma. It's yep. it's really fascinating, the algorithms. Look, there's the good and the bad, but I'll keep it just – I won't go into like the psychology of social media. That documentary can do that for us. Um, look, there's so much good and there's so much not so great. Um, the not so great is – I think more than any industry, makeup has been flooded more than anything. So everyone's a makeup artist. Everyone's an Instagrammer. Um, we are, are we saying, is this your mum? That's Sorry. my mum. Yeah, that's okay. Carol? Hold, hold that thought. Hi. Yeah. I just have to say hello. This is, this is my mum, Coral. Hi, Coral. You've got such great taste. We'll talk about makeup later. <laughs> Oh, I've just met—I've just met your mom. I've, I've known you for so long, so I feel really, that's, really privileged to meet your mom and be that, in her house. That's, that's really the, cute. She's not okay looking at. It. She's normally like super glamorous. She's just been to the pool she looks for a super swim. Super glamorous. She's, she's, yeah, so that's yeah. not it. I'm wearing shoes, so that's super glamorous. <laughs> um, okay, so okay. Um, the negative is I feel what I don't love is a lot of the makeup aesthetics. Like a lot of that really thick, full-on Virgil on Drag Queen makeup is great and it's fun. Um, I don't like the psychology of, and I'm seeing it a lot in the younger girls, of how with the more the young, I've got a daughter now too, so the younger generation, what I'm finding is so many girls get the biggest likes and responses for when they can really make themselves look completely different. They get some most attention. So girls doing natural, clean, pretty makeup doesn't always get the attention, but the girl who doesn't feel really pretty or who's got really bad skin or maybe has scars, and I love scars, who can cover and make herself look completely different, what I find is that person gets the attention. So then that girl who I get to meet through my job, a lot of the Instagrammers, they only go into the world as that person because that's the person who everyone's liked. And and a lot of makeups, people are starting to look the same. There's a lot of cloning. There's um, a lot of makeup where I can tell you exactly what the next step's going to be on that face because there's a lot of beauty drama. The other problem is it's all about me, me, me. Like an, I have a brand as well. So every day I get, hi, um, I'd like to try all your brushes and I've got four followers and I'm like, and so a lot of the new Instagram, they haven't had to go through the job and waiting for the, it, there's no instant gratification at all, you know, not having magazines anymore. Um, so that also too, there's been a lot of brands, a lot of our work was taken away because they were going for not the my favorite clients, but a lot of clients were going to makeup artists who had massive followings, but then it, it fell apart sometimes because they couldn't handle fashion weeks or models or different team. I mean, we've seen horrible things happen there. Um, so there's a lot of negative and also switching it off, when to switch it off, all the algorithms, all that kind of stuff. The good part about it is you can learn so much. I love having – it's finding the authentic Instagram. I think that's where the power is, where women are, you know, and men, the, the positive pages, the ones that are real, the ones that will show you a product and show you what it looks like four hours later. The ones – I don't do paid sponsorships. And, look, I understand why people do, but it's really hard. My husband's like, are you sure that offer that's just come through? And I say, I just can't. I just – um, I just never want to be that person. I want to 
that I think once you have trust, it's really difficult. I mean, there's a couple of products that I love and I've even had products that I've loved offer me money and I just, I just feel uncomfortable. Maybe that's why I'm a creative, not a business person. Um, I just can't do it. So, but the positive is your page is a magazine now. Um, you can tomorrow, one photo can change your life. Um, you can, you know, with a magazine, you might've had 50,000 readership. Now you can have 5 million, the viralness of it. It's a bit overwhelming and there is so much out there, but I think if you use it correctly, I find for me, for inspiration, it's been incredible. My favorite trick is I find artists that I love, say like Rick Owens, um, uh, Solvay, Sunsbo, um, oh, John Galliano, and I look at who they follow. It's my favorite thing. So for the, for the inspiration, I absolutely love it. But, it do, you know, it does also get when does it stop? You've got to have good boundaries around it. How do you turn it off? Because we used to go to work and go home and wait a month for it to come out now. Yeah. And the filters and this and that. And yeah. And I'm really good. I'm actually really slack on my page. Um, I'm not that person that does it. I don't always, I don't like putting everyone on Instagram. I feel uncomfortable. I just do. No, I understand. Yeah, it's hard. I want to have, I have a child. I have, you know. So I've, I've turned off a lot of accounts. If I think it was that Mary Quanda moment during lockdown about does it spark joy? And I, as I scroll, there's some makeups that I love, but I just don't love like, the bitchiness that could be behind it all. Just the way, yeah, there's things that are a bit negative. So I just don't follow. I don't need to. And it's like gotcha. cleaning it all out. So it's really important what you look at, you know. So as a mum, and congratulations, yes. by the way. I I, yeah, for surviving. Yeah, for yeah. her surviving. <laughs> yeah, that and the wow. sleep deprivation wow. and all the rest of it. But, wow. um, yeah, you'd never give them back. It's wonderful, Oh, isn't there's it? been times. <laughs> yeah, it's, it, it's been – it's really hard. It's great now, but she's six and I'm very open and very raw and honest when I talk. And I, I, I might, don't mean to come across negative, but it's been the hardest five years of my life. Um, and there's so many reasons for it. One, IVF. Um, we did eight rounds of that. That was lots of fun. The only positive about eight rounds is being on the hormones. You don't want to be pregnant because you so hate the world. Um, my husband used to call me a crocodile on her eggs because I just loved to hate him. It was just terrible. But anyway, and then we ended up going to America. Um, we went IVF over there for the testing process. Very long story. Um, so we, I had severe, I, I vomited every day when I was pregnant, every moment of every day. Um, found out that I had this crazy methylation gene. So taking folic acid made me really sick. Healthy baby, amazing baby, so lucky and worst postnatal. And I've had depression, people know about it, um, my whole life and I've managed that. And there's things that I put in place and I've got my two friends that, you know, my little what do you call my tribe? And, um, but postnatal is another, I didn't understand the depth that that can take women. And I thought, you know, it's, oh, you get depressed days. No, this was beyond. And it took me so long because everyone was telling, I remember working with Megan Gale, we were pregnant at the same time. And she said, I remember saying the explosion of joy you're going to have is just amazing. And I remember six months in going, when am I going to feel, I didn't feel a thing. And I didn't. And it's funny. I, I've spoken to so many other mums. They're like, I didn't either. And I felt so ashamed. I felt so ashamed. And one thing interesting, that this is my this is just a personal revelation. I could be completely wrong, but I had it with my therapist the other day. That's what's helped me so much. Is I thought, you know, because they say with hormones, especially when you do IVF in America, they triple those hormones. So you are 10 times crankier and there's 10 times more chance of postnatal. But 
What I notice, and a lot with my family, is you find out how it was like for you when you were a baby. So what I found interesting, a lot of the mums I know who suffered a lot in the first six months to a year, their family were pretty shit. They were really shit. So it's not so much the hormones were going crazy. You just get to see an eye opener. Like my mum would say things like, oh, just um, do what I do. Just like when she's crying, just close the door and go to the shops. And I'm like, what? Um, so you get to hear interesting, um, stories. I don't know how true that was, but anyway, but, um, and then we had the worst sleeper, like, and I had everyone going, get this person from sleep school. And we had the, we had Nicole Kidman's sleep person, doctor, who's the best apparently in the Southern hemisphere come to my house. and say she's the worst we've ever seen. Okay. This for the first year, the longest she ever slept in a year was two hours ever. She never, I think we got a three hours once. And the thing was she'd wake up and and so went to sleep school the first night, they give you one night off. If anyone's pregnant out there or anyone has a baby that doesn't sleep, night nannies, I wish I knew about them earlier. They're registered nurses that come to you and help you and they just let you sleep. And I remember sleep school, they went, this is actually impossible because we've only clocked her, I think, the whole night she had four hours, right? This is a six-month-old. Um, and she was not tired during the day and there was no day sleep. And it was so bad that I used to stay up till 3 a.m. every night. This is for she was a year and a half. And my husband would come at 3am. I'd fallen asleep at shopping center lights. I had, I used to go to work two hours early so I could sleep in the back of my car. Okay. Just so you know, she turned six a month ago. We've had two nights of a sleep through, but what it was, she was what they call a baby sleepwalker. So she, we didn't know this was sleeping, but was completely awake. Complete, wow. like sit up, jack, moving around. And even now she doesn't, she doesn't walk around and thank God that's gone, but she just talks and it's loud and it's moving and it's all, all night. Wow. So I now believe there's parents that have children that sleep and parents have children that don't sleep. Don't talk to each other. You have nothing, nothing in common. And oh. they're like, you're having another one. I went, no, what happens <laughs> if she doesn't, or he doesn't sleep? And they went, oh, yo, but the second one might. But what happened? No, I, I don't think I would, honestly, I wouldn't I got, survive it. I got you. It's a, it's it's, a tough job. It's, wow. def- it's definitely, you know, yeah. being a parent, raising kids, it's, it's definitely a tough job. And it's funny. I, I, I don't know if you were like this, but I was that person before children that, you know, why would I ever give my child an iPad? Oh, my goodness. Why do you bring your children noisy at restaurants? Why aren't they just – and it's funny. My therapist, I said to him, sorry, this is getting a bit personal, but I said, yeah, my mum, every time I got my daughter, she's quite intense and loud and we calm her down, but we, got, we have all our tricks that we do. And my mum always says to me, but when we went, took you out, you just you were so quiet and you didn't move and you behaved. And my therapist said, that's called fear. And I went, actually, you're right. I was terrified. I didn't move. He said, your child's healthier. He said, you want the kid that goes, no, mum, I don't want cornflakes for breakfast. I want rice bubbles. He said, that's the healthy child. Yeah. Went, oh, thanks. Yeah. So I feel Spirited. good about it. Good yes, on you. that's the word. Good on you, mum. So now I'm loving it. Now um, it's like she turned six. But I found it really hard to look back at baby photos. It was too traumatising. But now I can. But it's taken me, yeah, I'd say up till five now. Everyone said okay. I'd see the window at three or four. No, nope, I was still in the cave. Um, yeah, but now it's definitely. And I have a great husband, thank God. He's an amazing father. Yeah, need a tribe. Someone said to me, if you don't have a tribe, buy one. <laughs> Just buy one or find one. <laughs> Gotcha. So what's next? Yeah, I know you've okay. got something coming up in yeah, a month, which yeah, you yeah. can't tell me about. Are no, you sure? We, no, we can't because – so we've got 
the brushes, the educational stuff happening. Um, And there's been a project that we've been chatting about it for two years and it's about joining forces. There's going to be um, an amazing brand kind of amazing person coming to help lift this another level. So Awesome. It's all being signed as we speak okay, and we'll, it'll be really amazing. Okay, yeah. good. Well, yeah. I look forward to that and I look forward to working with you again. Well, I have to, what, what are you like? Oh, the, yeah, you get a question. Yeah, okay. I get a question. So your wife's amazing. <laughs> I rem- it's just funny. I do remember Shoot Jess Smith at uh, Melbourne. Was it Jockey Underwear? I did with Kate. That was one of the... Oh, it might have been uh, um, it, Playtex, uh, Playtex or Burley. No, Burley, uh, Burley. Burley. It was Burley. Right. And last time I saw your daughter, she was like four. Wow. So that's well, she's, how long it's been. She's 16 and she's fabulous. Yes. And she And musically. Is, she's writing yep. and singing wonderful songs and, yeah, watch this space, watch that and space. And is she like, is it like, you know, because I think with my daughter and makeup, like am I going to be the cool mum or am I going to be just mum? And I wonder with Gypsy and Kate, does she go to Kate for inspiration or, do, or is she a bit like, no, mum, I've got this? Is she... Because the word gypsy in itself, like, yeah. is she someone that has that good balance or does she well, want yeah. mum's approval or she – like, I can't wait to watch the dynamic of Yeah, of well, seeing- look, it's been, it's been really interesting because right from early age she's shown great natural talent as a writer and as a singer, like just singing perfect write. pitch like, I've seen like her, her mum. She's amazing. Yeah, um, but for many years – we're saying, hey, you know, you could probably do something with that if you wanted. She's like, oh, no, I don't want to do what mum does. Really? I don't, wow. I, you know, and there's also the thing of like, well, I don't want to spend my life being compared to my mum and people going, True. oh, yeah, you know, she's not as good as a mother or True. whatever. Yeah, so we weren't encouraging it. Yeah. Um, but just recently, um, and I won't go into that too much, okay. something extraordinary happened and we went, holy shit, you've, you ha- really have – extraordinary talent wow. there and, and we sort of said you know um what do you think and she's like yeah i actually want to do it the beautiful part is that her voice is nothing like kate's it's yeah, just that's she's got then. her own thing that's so good and writing wise she's got her own thing yeah hey look we could go on forever we could. but i'm like we've we have a husband and child to <laughs> I, the good thing is i always say babe no i'm still working and you know, we could stay here for ages <laughs> you um, have the record the, the longest podcast so far oh, I mean, yeah that is people so might awesome. not listen to the yeah, let's see how long people listen before they switch off. <laughs> <laughs> we could record this for days. Doesn't mean they're going to listen to it all. But let's uh, do part two because oh, there's going to be more there's, happening. There's, yeah, there's, there's definitely more happening. We can, we can do um, viewer questions. I can sit in makeup. Like we can get, you know, call in. Can we yeah, do one yeah, of those? Yeah, 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 perfect. What's your makeup issue? Let me help you. Yeah, yeah, no, I'd love that. Well, yeah, on the next one, I was also thinking something else that would have been a cool question is, okay, pretend I'm a woman yep. and you've just met me and you've got to do my makeup yep. and, and, and quickly tell me what you would do. Beautiful skin. Yeah. I'm playing it right now. That's oh. what, can I tell you that's where the magic is? This okay. makes skin look amazing. Okay. The most attractive, most anti-aging thing yeah. is incredible. You would know this as a director too. Incredible, vibrant, beautiful skin with no makeup on. That is so much more beautiful. And I say that to makeup artists too. If you have like photos of amazing skin, it shows that you know what amazing skin looks like. I find I, my fav, my, I'll end on my favorite quote. This is from another plastic surgeon. He invented facial Botoxing and they said, if you could do one, if you could do one procedure to a woman or a man to make them look younger and you could do anything, what would be the one tool? And he said, I wouldn't chase the lines. I would even out the skin tone. And he was so right. Cause they put up two pictures, one 
of a 70-year-old woman, really sun-damaged, and one photo they retouched out all the wrinkles and she looked 70 but weird. And the other photo left all the wrinkles that made her skin milky, creamy, took all the pigment and all the redness out and she looked 50 and amazing. And all the lines were there. Wow. So there you go. Skin, skin, skin. There you go. There it's you all, go. That's it's a wrap. All about, it's all about the skin. Thank you so Check much. Check the gate. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Lee. Thank you so much. for. Ha- I hope it won't be so long between drinks. Yeah. Yeah, yeah me too. Well, you're local now. I know where you live. Woo-hoo. Well, I know where your mum lives. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. Oh, Thanks, Lee. That's it for this week. I'm new to this podcasting hosting business, but oh, it's amazing. I can learn more about a person in a one-on-one-hour podcast chat than you can knowing and working with someone over 20 years. It's amazing. Okay, next week's guest, another Queenslander who's headed south to find fame and fortune and lose it and find it and lose it and find it again. A living legend, rock and roll survivor and serial entrepreneur, Glenn Wheatley. His story's definitely larger than life. If you're enjoying the podcast, please head over to Apple Podcasts and rate the show and give it a review. Until next week, live large. The Blank Canvas is produced by Lee Rogers and me, Rin MacDonald, with audio support by Jason Murphy at Gas Inc. and music by Rodrigo Bustos. This has been a Millevich production.